The Bible reading today is from Jonah chapter 2 and you can find it on page 926 in the Blue Church Bibles. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's good to be with you again um, to look at Jonah, which is such a fun book. I can't feel like I've, um, I've got a hard act to follow, though. But anyway, after the kids talk. Please keep your Bibles open there, page uh, 926, I think it is, of the church Bibles. Um, and the passages, so they'll be there, and the passages from elsewhere in the Bible will be on the screen if you want to look through the thing. Well, do you wonder if uh, God listens to you? And do you wonder what you'd have to be like for God to listen to you? What do you say that gives you the best chance of God listening? And what position do you need to be in so that God will listen? And what I find interesting about this morning's passage and the prayer that we see in Jonah chapter 2 is that it's a prayer God listens to. But it's when Jonah is weak the prayer itself, I'd say, is not perfect. Well, this morning's talk divides into three parts. Uh, God answers our cries of distress. God answers, even when we think he may not. Uh, and look to, and the surprising thing that we look to, is God's temple. So firstly, our cries of distress. See, Jonah's experience is, verse 2, he said, as Jonah said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. See, that is how God related to Jonah, wasn't it? He listened to his cry of distress. It's not just Jonah. In Psalm 107, we read of the Israelites and the trouble they are in and how God responded. It says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, Prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. See, sometimes I think that I need to be good enough for God. I think that God wouldn't want someone who wasn't good 
But it's almost like it's exactly the opposite. See, when we're in trouble, when we have nothing, God answers prayers. Jonah was, from the middle of verse 2, deep in the realm of the dead when God listened to his cry. Jesus puts it this way. He said, Matthew 18, verse 3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, it's not about being good enough. It's about us calling out to God like a little child with nothing. Uh, When I was recently in my 40s, I uh, started karate and, and went for a few years. And what I found really funny about karate was the number of similarities between karate and Christianity. Or to put it another way, between karate churches and Christian churches. So they call them dojos, we call them churches. Um, It wasn't so long after uh, there'd been a church plant of Trinity Bay, as it was called then, where I attend, which is now called Trinity Church Brighton. And what I found was that the karate place I happened to turn up to had just been planted near me. It was local to me and I rocked in and I got talking to one of the guys who ran it and he was explaining how they had, you know, a certain number of people in the, in the other church, uh, sorry, karate church down the road. And so they thought, well, we could take a few of the, you know, a few of the black belts and we'll bring them here and we'll, we'll start a new church, karate church. Uh, there are different karate organisations, just like there are different uh, denominations. And even within those organisations, there are organisations. And the organisations don't always think of the other organisations as being, you know, perfect and pure. So we've got the Trinity Network and, you know, you know how it works. Uh, One of the aims of karate is to improve. And what I find is if you don't go to karate for a while, your karate gets worse. Hmm, Sounds a bit like Christianity. The thing that I find most funny about it, though, is the, the meaning of the word karate. So kara means empty and tei means hand. So karate means empty hand. So when we go to karate, we don't bring guns and knives and, and bombs and that sort of stuff. You just bring your empty hands. And Jesus says, uh, that's what, what we're like, isn't it? When we come to him, it's not about what we bring, not about what we have to offer. Jesus says, We must become like little children. That is, lowly and unimportant. Because that's the sort of thing that God answers, isn't it? That's how God answered Jonah. That's what Jonah found. He had nothing. He was deep in the realms of the dead. And God answers. And God answers in spite of what we might think. He answers in spite of our guilt. See, that's Jonah, as we saw last week. He's guilty, isn't he? Guilty in that he ran away from God. Guilty in that even when there was a great storm and he knew it was from God, he still didn't want to turn back and go and do what God had asked him to do. And I think guilty uh, in the prayer, as we'll see later. And the Israelites in Psalm 107 were in trouble, not because of bad luck or old age, but Psalm 107 verse 11 
because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. And we Christians are no different. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. See, it's not that we are good people who've uh, unfortunately undeservedly ended up in a little bit of trouble. See, the Bible's clear that's not the case. We people are guilty. And in spite of us being guilty, God answers. And he answers in spite of his judgment. That is, God brought the trouble on Jonah, didn't he? And yet he answers Jonah. Jonah acknowledges, verse 3, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. All the currents swelled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Or in Psalm 107. So he subjected them. This is the experience of the Israelites. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. See, even though God himself is bringing the trouble on us, he still answers when we call to him. So you ever seen young children, um, how they act around their parents? You know, their parents have told them not to do something. And so what's the next thing they do? They do it. They know their parent doesn't want them to do it. And they get in trouble and they cry. And who do they turn to for comfort? It's funny, isn't it? They turn to the parent who's got them in trouble. And God said, he, he, that's what Jonah did. He cried out to the God who had got him in trouble. And God answers. And God doesn't just answer Jonah. He answers us, doesn't he? So, for example, John 3.36 puts the basic principle. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why? For God's wrath remains on them. Yes, it is God's trouble. Trouble God is bringing. But when we turn to God, he answers. He saves us even though we're guilty and even though he is causing us trouble. But he also saves from the impossible. Verse 5 of Jonah, chapter 2. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So we have Jonah, who I think it's safe to assume couldn't swim. He was thrown into the ocean, not just any ocean, but a stormy ocean. Then, down in the depths, wrapped in seaweed, barred in forever. As good as dead. But of course, not for God. Nothing is impossible for God, is it? See, we might think, uh, we're too far gone, someone's too far gone. But no, it's not impossible for God. There was no cell phone reception, certainly no landline down there in that fish, down there, well, before the fish, down there in the bottom of the ocean. But God can do it. Jesus describes it this way in Mark 10. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, 
With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. See, we may have reasons to think that God is not going to forgive us. We may say things like, you don't know what I'm like. Well, I know what I'm like, and I reckon God's forgiven me. I have a fair idea about what Jonah was like. I mean, he was almost dead. No way out. It wasn't too late for him. And God listens despite us not being perfect. See, Jonah wasn't perfect, was he? He was running away from God. And even his prayer from inside the fish looks not quite right. He doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, I'll head to Nineveh. And there's a whole lot of things in this uh, passage which I think sort of my God might be saying, yes, 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 Jonah, yes. But then right at the end, I think Jonah blows it just a bit much. Verse 8, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I'll make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Really, Jonah? Those who cling to worthless idols? You were sent to them and you refused to go. The blokes in the ship, do you remember what they were like in chapter 1? They actually actually made you look silly. They ended up worshipping God. Their actions were much better than yours and they turned to God. And you want to compare yourself to them and say, you know, oh, but those people. But I. It's a bit like Jonah saying, I'll, I'll do what I said. He doesn't even say, I'll do what God said. And I wonder if how Jonah come onto the land, comes onto the land, also shows us that God wasn't happy with Jonah. See, he could have placed Jonah on the shore, couldn't he? Commanded the fish, fish just, just put Jonah on that shore there. He, he's... He's turned back, he's all good, you know, we'll be happy. But he doesn't. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It's almost like the fishes said, oh, enough of this rubbish, I can't stand it inside me for another moment. And we'll see in chapter 4 that we're looking at in a couple of weeks that uh, Jonah was not right. And despite all this, Despite all this, God listens. He's so willing to act for us. He responds to Jonah and saves his life, even though Jonah does wrong, even though uh, God has judged him, even though Jonah's almost dead, and even though Jonah still isn't perfect. Jonah's story is a bit like the story of the prodigal son. See, in the prodigal son, the son asks for his inheritance, takes it, spends it, then realises he's in trouble and thinks he'd be better off back home as a servant. So I'll pick it up in Luke 15 from verse 20. His response. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick! Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. 
See, in the parable, the, the father, of course, represents God. And the father's love is so great. See, he welcomes, he has a party, he celebrates. But did you notice what the son said before the father welcomed him? He actually didn't say anything, did he? He just turned up and, got, and the father saw him at a distance and ran to him. And that's what God's like. He's so loving. So loving, it's almost, well, it's scandalous, isn't it? But just as the son came home, so Jonah had one thing correct. See, the son knew to come home. Jonah looked to, the surprising thing, the temple. He said, verse 4, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Or verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. There is, for those of us who are visually minded, a picture of the temple. So it's a, it's a big, imposing building. It was uh, built, of course, in the middle of Jerusalem. And in the middle of it was the special place, the Holy of Holies, uh, where God specially put his name. Solomon describes it this way in uh, 1 Kings 8. He says, uh, when they, this is the prayer of Solomon just after they finished building the temple. And Solomon's prayer goes, for like, part of it's like this. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. See, when they turn there, then hear says Solomon. Or similarly, in Daniel 6. Now when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. See, where was the temple? In Jerusalem. That's where you look, where God's name is. But for us, of course, things are different because Jesus has fulfilled the temple from John 2. from John 2, where Jesus has um, describing to people what's going to happen. And he answered them. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. See, for us it makes sense not to look to the bricks and mortar, of course, but to look to Jesus because he fulfills the temple. Before we uh, have a quick look at how we should look to Jesus, a bit of Old Testament background. Um, I'm sure it's a story that most of us are familiar with, a great story, the snake on the pole after the Israelites had sinned, from Numbers 21. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. 
So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. See, God had judged the Israelites at this point because they'd done wrong. God also provided a way out. He provided the snake on a pole. Look at it and live. And Jesus refers to this story. He says in John chapter 3, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And John's explanation, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So just as God saved Jonah when he looked towards the temple, just as God saved the Israelites when they looked at the snake, so God saves us through the temple. Not the temple made of bricks and mortar, but the temple that is Jesus. Jesus was lifted up. He was butchered to death on the cross so that if we believe in him, or if you like, if we look to him, we live. See, Jesus dealt with all the stuff we've done wrong. He's dealt with the death, judgment and condemnation that we deserve. And so we can look to him. And we've seen God's character in, the, in this passage in Jonah, haven't we? How God responds. See, he doesn't just uh, ignore people who aren't good enough. He listens. That's his character. He listens to Jonah even though he was guilty. Even though Jonah was under his judgment. Even though the position Jonah found himself in was impossible. Even though Jonah was not perfect. That's all God's character. He will listen to us similarly, even though we are guilty, even though we may be under his judgment, even when it seems impossible, and even though we still are not perfect. So let's turn to God because he's a welcoming and forgiving God.